Welcome back to Fault Lines with Nixon and Stranahan on 105.5 FM and 1390 AM in Washington, D.C. We have with us now James Corbett, founder of thecorbettreport.com. Good morning, James. Welcome to Fault Lines. Thank you for having me on. Pleasure to be here. Well, James, you have done some fantastic work uh, throughout your career, but recently uh, you 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 really uh, stepped uh, you know stepped up your game. Uh, you know you've done you've did this thing. I think it's about three minutes where you talked about RussiaGate, and I've seen it all over the place. This video, a lot of people are really enjoying it. Maybe let's start off. You could talk a little bit about that video, about your thoughts of it, making it, kind of what's in it, and kind of give us our, our um, you know our listeners a, a, an idea about that video. Well, this is a video that's actually part of a series of videos that I've made over the years. Uh, this one's Russiagate, a conspiracy theory. I've done 9-11, a conspiracy theory, JFK, a conspiracy theory. Um, basically, it's making fun of the official conspiracy theories that we're expected to believe about 9-11, about JFK, about other events, including the official conspiracy theory of Russiagate. Because, of course, the biggest conspiracy theory peddlers of the last few years have not been crazy, wide-eyed YouTube uh, video makers. It's been Rachel Maddow and the people in the mainstream media who have been pushing this Russian collusion conspiracy, which is laughable on its face. So the point of the video is to just basically say what the what we're expected to believe about this conspiracy theory, and it makes fun of itself because it's just so ludicrous. So what are your thoughts? You know, when we talk about the conspiracy theory being, you know, a con game, it was a con. It was a confidence game from the from the beginning. And and so now we're the circumstance I've been saying we're the circumstance. You know, people are saying that they're you know, this is you know, they're this is kind of a a, a, a post event kind of, uh, you know, crash that the, that the, the, the Russia Gators are having. And they're going through these various, you know, uh, uh, phases of, 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 of um, you know, after you find out that you that, that what you believed so much uh, didn't wasn't wasn't true. Um, in my opinion, we're looking at a, a, a dynamic here where at the end of a con game, the mark faces the a the embarrassment of not wanting to admit to themselves or anyone else that they've been conned. But additionally, the con is usually good enough that the mark still defends the con artist afterwards. Even when the cops come to their house and say, look, um, this guy that told you his name was Garland, it's not Garland. His real name is Lee. He's conned you. He's taken all your money you've been had. And the mark still says, no, no, it wasn't a con. He's an honest guy. And I think that is that part of where we are right now. Unfortunately so, yeah, they're going to double down on this, and we've already seen it with the uh, the, the claims that, oh, well, we don't know what's in the report, we haven't seen the full report, maybe, maybe Barr is hiding something, and now there's unnamed people who are somehow or other associated with the Mueller investigation who are saying Barr has has uh, has given a false impression of this report to the public, blah, blah, blah. They're going to keep going on and on and on with this. Uh, again, it's it, it would be laughable if it wasn't so serious. And that's the worst part about this, is that in the end, it doesn't even matter if and when this is finally discredited and put away with. There is a lasting legacy to this Russiagate. There's, there's two main things. One is that it has succeeded in ramping up tensions between the United States and Russia. And so now we have the spectacle of people like Fareed Zakaria on GPS, on CNN, the, uh, just a few days ago, basically egging Trump on, oh, now you have to stand up to Russia in Venezuela, and you have to go in and invade Venezuela to show Putin, and things like this. So that uh, is one of the lasting legacies. The other one is the online censorship that has resulted from this, because as we know, it was the Russians who won the 2016 election, and they did it through social 
social media. So now anyone who disagrees with the U.S. government official policy on anything is a Russian bot and must be censored. And that's that's unfortunately going to continue whether or not this is finally put to rest once and for all. Well, you know, and and, and so it, it's interesting because you made another uh, you made a you get this new film that is basically uh, all over the place. Viral may be fair to say, Garland. Yeah. On the new film. But you did a great film a uh, couple months ago, a few months ago, a longer film about the run up to World War One. Now, I think it's interesting because I had been talking about and thinking about World War One. I'd seen a number of other people uh, as well talking about it. And I think that's in the zeitgeist. I think there's something there. I don't think it's I think there was something that I was seeing it. And I think you were, too. These real parallels between the period we're in now and the run up to World War One, that 1917 period where a lot of things happened. Uh, did you do you see some parallels there that uh, sort of worry you? Unfortunately, I do. And that is indeed why I made that documentary. I see a lot of parallels, although the parallels that I was seeing here in the Asia Pacific have more to do with China as being sort of the Germany of 1914 and uh, the UK being the US. So those parallels have been there and those tensions and the possibility of military tensions are here. But now, of course, Russia is the big boogeyman for uh, Uncle Sam and the Uncle Sam empire. So uh, that's that, that's slightly different. I mean, obviously, history is not going to repeat exactly. But as you say, there there are tensions and there's something in the zeitgeist that is shaping up in some sort of great power confrontation. And uh, none of us want to see that because as horrific as World War One was, uh, how many more t- orders of magnitude more horrific will it be given the technologies of warfare that are available to the, the uh, would-be rulers of the world today? Yeah, it's kind of scary because it seems to me you get, you know, the pe- people in at any particular point in 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 uh, history always feel like they're so much smarter. Oh no, that World War One, World War Two stuff that couldn't possibly happen again because we're so smarter and so much more advanced now. But when you see what's happening, here's the problem: the propagandists are so much smarter and so much more advanced now that they have but you the know, tools for doing it. Here's what's shocking: is there is there not in a sense? You know what? A lot of that run up to World War One was the early uh, the uh, WT Stead and the early age of the tabloids and the, right. early, and the early age of Stead was like the father of investigative journalism and tabloids. And it's interesting because they're, they're both real. They says they sound like they're at a conflict, but he was basically the, those same techniques of using the media to gin up a conflict. Stead and those other people, the London. Publishers, uh, how, how am I doing on this? Uh? Yeah, you're right. Uh, William T. Stead was was a co- core part of the Rhodes Group that was part instrumental in forming sort of the English core of uh, what became the World War One party, as it were, in England in the uh, turn of the 20th century. He actually split off with the group because he didn't. He actually didn't want war, but uh, he saw where it was going. And you're very right. The uh, the publishing, uh, the publishers having control of publishing and uh, the key editors and key newspapers in, in turn of the century Britain was absolutely essential to the propagandists of the time. Transfer that to the 21st century context, there's no doubt. All this talk about social media influencing elections, 
Well, there is something to it, because people are now getting their news through social media, more so than through the newspaper, for example, which is a dinosaur relic from a past age. At this point, the propagandists are turning to social media, and that is concerning, because uh, for the past decade that I've been doing this, I think a, a lot of what's been happening on YouTube and places like that has gone under the radar of the mainstream. They didn't realize there was something so gigantic happening in the media, and uh, it's, it's this giant shift now their attention is turning to it, and it's like the Eye of Sauron turning on it, and you know the propagandists are flooding into social media now to start to see how they can manipulate the public into one direction or another. And unfortunately, if if war is that direction, then I'm sure they, they're still playing on the same fundamental psychological principles that worked on people 100 years ago will work on people today. And World War One, I, I think, is the perfect um, comparison. It's the perfect thing to look at because, number one, it was a, poor, a, a war that absolutely did not ha ha have to happen, that shouldn't have happened. It was a war that was generated by propaganda. And if you look at what happened when they got into the war, when it was like the first major war well into the industrial age, and that's when they started bringing in you know new industries and stuff. And what did they get their hands on? Darn it, mustard gas and things of that nature, which again goes to show if you get a war going, people will use the nastiest thing they have to kill people, which in this instance is nuclear weapons. And these people, to me, are the most dangerous people in the history of human of humankind, because right now this craziness they're, they're doing is risking all of humankind existing. Well, let me let me get, let me take it one step further, Garland. I think there's something going on. And look, I'm brave enough to say it. So I'm going to come out and get on the record on this ahead of everybody else. It's obvious where this is going. Look, they've demonized the Russians, and now they're demonizing the Chinese. They're taking us back in time to the, the 60s. Yep. Now, I'm telling you where the next step is going. Hear me out. The next step, obviously, with, with Trump talking about the Space Force. Remember that? Yep. The next step is to go back to the 50s. Who was the big foe in the 50s? That's right, the Martians. Ah! <laughs> the next step is to the Martians, Garland, you know, the, that dastardly the red planet. Green sons of guns. Those bastards. Those big-headed, big-brained, scary freaks. They're the ones we have to watch out for. And you watch. That's the way we're going to justify the Space Force is by demonizing the Martians. That's where I think we're going. And you heard it here first. I'm sorry, I don't know where you can possibly go with that. <laughs> how about how about if I put something a little bit positive? Because obviously this is, uh, you know, it's a very serious topic. So let's let's get something positive out of this. One of the things that we can learn from World War One is that one of the ways they tried to manipulate people into that war was to use uh, the white feather brigade, um, women walking around putting white feathers on the lapels or in the caps of men that were walking around of service age who weren't in uniform, basically to shame them. Oh, you're a coward. You won't go to war. Um, and that was exceptionally effective because it made men who weren't walking around in service uniforms very conscious of that. And, um, and, and so a lot of people were basically railroaded into joining up to basically throw themselves in the meat grinder, which is what the uh, World War I was. Um, but the hopeful part about that is that it, it shows that they still need our active cooperation. They still need us to believe at least believe in the necessity of signing up to fight a war, if not believe in the actual you know, necessity of the war itself. Because human participation, until we get the robot armies of the future, human participation is still necessary. And that means that we can 
use our own conscious decision to not participate in the war propaganda, not to go along with the demonization. And our minds are actually the most precious uh, resource that we have in combating this, because we still can throw ourselves in the gears and, and stop the machinery of war from happening, or at the very least to stop it from, from functioning so, uh, so effectively. Well, you know, the other thing is that the, the insidiousness of the propaganda now, you know, I, well, I don't listen to the radio a lot, but one day I'm riding down the road. This was about a month or so ago, right after the whole Venezuela thing started. And I just turned on, it was whatever, iHeartRadio, you know, the latest, whatever they're playing music was on, right? And the, just a regular old, you know, the DJ, a DJ, whatever it was, the disc jockey, whatever, just regular old guys talking. And by happenstance, he, you know, in the middle, happenstance, in the midst of his conversation, he said something about, yes, our brothers and well, let's stand up for our, the people of uh, Venezuela who are being, uh, you know, mistreated by the dictator Maduro. And I'm like, okay, I'm just listening in a society. This is Orwellian. I'm just riding down the road to turn on the radio to just listen to whatever the latest top 40 song is because I'm bored and I'm on the beltway. And I'm listening to international military propaganda from just the average DJ on an average day, you know, and it's like it's permeated all parts of our society well, it's now. It's like I said, I took my kids to the Smithsonian, boom. I, I we went to a ball game. There's a jets flying over. I'm just saying the Marvel people are now yes. telling me they've seen the, sh the movie Captain Marvel and they're like, it's military propaganda. So that's just everywhere now. Um, what do you think of that, James? Yeah. Uh, well, again, this is uh, part of the refinement of the process of propaganda and they're injecting it into every cultural corner. And again, I would say that the real counter to that is not to uh, to hope that, you know, Marvel Studios or whatever will will be put less propaganda in the future. It's that we are now on the cusp of a true re revolution where it really can be YouTube in the sense that it can be you putting out uh, your own music or your own videos or things like that. We can actually uh, bypass to a large extent the cultural um, out, outside cultural forces that have been programming us from an early age. And we, we really are on that cusp if we take that power into our own hands again and, and stop relying on these mega corporations that are tied into the military industrial complex to entertain us. We know what we're going to get from them, and it's just propaganda for war. Yeah, and, and uh, the thing I was, I, the, 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 the silly scenario I was doing about the Martians earlier, I got to say, that is based on the real... I took my kids to the Smithsonian a couple weeks ago, and the IMAX film there, Journey into Space, is propaganda for the Space Force. It's like, this will be so great. How awesome will it be, kids, when we, when we have a, you know, a, this great... Oh, let's look at the ships. That's literally what it was. And so that propaganda, it is being put out there. It is entertainment. And we've talked... Be, uh, you, you mentioned the White Feathers, the thing which I'd never heard of. It's, uh, I mean, that, that's hearing it from you. You're the first person I heard it from. And it reminds me immediately, of course, of the white helmets. Exactly. And just how, and even, I got to say, even the, the yellow vest, I'm not saying they're equivalent, but I'm saying there is a weird thing of like, uh, name a color and uh, a, a, an article of an apparel. Item, yeah. Was it a rock? Yeah. Was it a rock? Was it the first Iraq war where they had people putting ribbons on trees or something? Remember that yellow ribbons on the trees for people. Yeah, yellow ribbons. Yep. Yeah, that was based on a Tony, Tony Orlando song. Want to make sure we get to calls two zero two five two one thirteen twenty. It is Tony yeah, Orlando and Don. Jim from Sioux Falls. What's on your mind? 
Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, James, I wanted to ask you, I've seen uh, something about where you've looked into psychotronic weapons, brainwave, uh, the surveillance state, and especially the use of 5G and the dangers thereof. And I was wondering if you could comment on that. Well, it's a pretty broad topic, and I don't know if I can get into specifics here, but essentially the 5G network that's coming into view is microwave radiation technology that's going to be not only um, beaming information from every device that you have to every other device that you have in the smart grid of everything that's coming into view, but will also have health implications that uh, have not been, at the very least, have not been adequately studied, shall we say. And I've noted on my podcast before, it's funny how the precautionary principle applies when we're talking about, oh, your SUV is going to cause a typhoon in Taipei 100 years from now, or whatever the global warming hysteria of the week is, so we have to be precautionary about that. But when it comes to uh, 5G uh, network that they're putting into place right now, oh, well, we'll, we'll worry about the health effects of this microwave radiation uh, later on. Um, but, it, you know, it's just too broad a topic to really get into depth here. But, James, thanks, thank God. Let's, uh, let's just take a second here and pause and thank God that humanity does not have a history of just rushing into things. Thank God we've never done that. And killing and so millions, sure tens of millions of people. We'll be fine. Yeah, exactly right. We don't think, thank goodness history has no examples of where we just said, well, let's just try this and see if it works. Yeah, can't think of a single example, except for when they tried to set the atmosphere on fire to, or see if they could set the atmosphere on fire with uh, some of the original nuke tests. But <laughs> hey, that didn't happen, so we're all good, right? Yeah, a lot of, I do see a lot of uh, uh, the history of exploration and science as a matter of, well, let's try this. I do want to ask you, James, since you're on here, this may be a little off subject, but I, I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts about the current state of the um, the botched Venezuela um, regime change uh, uh, move? Yeah, well, it hasn't happened yet, has it? And I, I think that's a testament to the fact that the U.S. ability to simply uh, enact these overthrows is waning. Uh, it, obviously, uh, the last seven years, eight years now in Syria has shown that the U.S. cannot simply snap its fingers and get what it wants in a foreign country at this point. If uh, if Maduro is able to hang on, that would be actually pretty amazing, considering this is in the U.S.'s backyard and people are now throwing around the Monroe Doctrine. Oh, how dare Putin and Russia try to invade uh, the U.S. space as if the U.S. owns Venezuela. But it, the fact that Venezuela has not been overthrown is a testament to the fact that the U.S. power is waning in, in its ability to just snap its fingers and get what it wants anywhere in the world. That's James Corbett. He's the founder of Corbett Report. That's Corbett with two T's. You can go to CorbettReport.com to find a lot of great stuff there. We recommend you go there and check it out. We'll be right back with Major Danny Scherzer, retired Major Danny Scherzer. You're listening to Fault Lines with Nixon and Stranahan. One hundred years ago, the most devastating war the world had ever seen came to an end. In the craters of those battlefields lay the fallen. But why? What was World War I about? What did it mean? For a century, we have been told a partial history of that war. But now, we can finally learn the truth about the First World War. This is false history. It's not even acceptable to call it fake news. It's just disgusting. So what these people gained was the foothold for world government. And now the time came to slaughter some part of the sheep. 
the World War I conspiracy. Watch the documentary for free at CorbettReport.com slash WWI.